in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 is our young people are being dismissed for children's church, 6th grade and down, with Mr. Paul and Mr. Luke. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Maybe some of you have noticed this or remembered this. 12 years ago today was the very first Sunday that uh, what would become the Crossroads Baptist Church met uh, in the old conference center over in the middle of town. We wouldn't charter the church until the first part of 2011, uh, but uh, God's been good in the past 12 years, hasn't he? And uh, seen people saved and uh, ministries uh, begun and missionaries sent out and uh, just really grateful. I know God has changed me tremendously uh, as well in uh, a lot of ways, and I praise God for his work in my life. It's been a blessing for all of us that have been a part of the church to get to be changed together, amen, and to grow and to see what the Lord has done. Uh, but I want us to think about the future today, and i We've mentioned this before. There's a reason that God made the windshield, or God made, the, uh, an automobile manufacturer made the windshield bigger than your rearview mirror. Uh, by the way, God made the windshield of your life bigger and tends for it to be bigger than your rearview mirror, so we spend most of our time looking forward and not backward. There are good times to look backwards, but we don't live in the past. There's no future in the past, and God wants us to keep our eyes on the future. And uh, moving forward for him. And then living where our feet are right now as well. Notice if you would, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. The Apostle Paul is finishing a prayer that he uh, had had written down here beginning with verse number 14. But verse number 20 is the conclusion of the prayer. And uh, this is how he closes this wonderful prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages or generations, world without end. Uh, it's the idea of age to age uh, until we get into eternity. And then how does he finish it? Amen. Uh, even Paul finished his prayer with an amen, so it's fitting for us to do so. Amen. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to be together today. We do praise you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done in the past 10 years. We thank you for where you've brought us from to where we are now. And the blessing for us that it is to look around and see uh, how lives have been changed, how we've been changed and, Lord, missionaries have been sent out, uh, churches started, uh, people saved in other places. We think about the printing ministry. Uh, we think about so many wonderful things we can look all around us and see that you have done. Uh, Lord, I pray that that would stir in us today a desire now to be not only all in where we are right now, but to be looking to the future and thinking about what it is that you want us to do as we move forward. Lord, I need your help as I preach this morning. I pray that all of us would bring our hearts in submission to what the Spirit of God wants to say to this church. And I thank you, Lord, that your mind is clear uh, what it is that you want for an individual believer and what it is that you want for a church. And I pray that we would be reminded of that this morning, and we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. 
As you look at the book of Ephesians, chapter number one is a record of these abundant blessings that God has made available for uh, the believer. Ephesians chapter one and verse number three, the apostle Paul uh, blesses the Father who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in chapter one of Ephesians, he gives a catalog of those. We've been adopted, we're accepted in the beloved, the abundance of Christ's is ours. We've been given access into the presence of God. All of these wonderful blessings, we've been given assurance. Isn't it good for you, those of you here today, know Christ as Savior, that you can know that you're a child of God? You don't have to wonder. Uh, It's not based on what you do or how you feel. It's based on what God did and said in His Word. And we have those wonderful blessings, these abundant blessings, and Paul catalogs those in chapter number one. And then almost as if he wants to make sure that nobody gets the big head and thinks that they have those blessings because of anything that they've done, that we've done, chapter number two, Paul focuses in on the fact that you and I do not deserve any of those blessings that God has given to us. Okay. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. We were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, separated from the life of God, but through the work of the riches of the grace of God and His love for us, we've been brought into the family and then added into this new institution called the church. The church is an amazing institution that God, it was God's idea. It's not social construct. A bunch of first century Christians didn't get, get, get together and say, well, we need to get together. God said, you need to get together. And he founded the church. There it was launched on the day of Pentecost. Chapter number three. So chapter number one, this catalog of spiritual blessings. Chapter number two, make sure you realize you didn't do anything to deserve this. It's all the grace of God. Chapter number three, Paul expresses his longing in the first part of chapter number three that the church be this visible testimony, this lighthouse, this trumpet, this trophy case, if you would, of what God can do when people trust Him as Savior. And he said, I want all the Gentiles to know. And listen, folks, this is one of the reasons the church is so important. The church is a trophy case to the world of this is what the grace of God can do. He even says in chapter number 3 and verse number 10 that the church is an object lesson even to angels in heaven of what God does in redeemed people's lives. Angels don't know what it is to be redeemed. They don't know what it is to be lost in sin, but then to have a Savior. And so the the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter number 3, that we become an example to the angels even in heaven. They learn things about the grace of God by watching what happens in the church. And by the way, that should make us sit up and pay attention, shouldn't it? But then he gets to verse number 14, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14. And then he begins to focus his attention on the individual believers there in the church at Ephesus. And he records this phenomenal prayer. Notice, if you would, verse number 14. For this cause I bow my knees. Because the church has been instituted and because of the impact that an individual believer can have, should have. On the world in which it lives. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then he begins to list some requests that he makes as he prays for the church at Ephesus. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Remember, that's not talking about salvation. We looked at this passage several weeks ago, but it's talking about Christ being at home in the believer's heart. In other words, that my heart is an atmosphere that is conducive to Christ being comfortable as he lives there. And then notice this, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Really, three different aspects to Paul's request. He requested that these believers, when he prayed to God for them, that you'd be strengthened with God's might in your inner man. Secondly, he prayed that Jesus would be at home in the believer's heart. And thirdly, he prayed that they might know the love of Christ. I want to tell you, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning about how much Jesus loves you and you'll never fathom it all. And that's why Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. And we are to be reminded on a regular basis of how much the Lord Jesus loves us. But this prayer expressing Paul's desire for the church at Ephesus... Now, it culminates with verse 20 and 21. Paul just breaks out in this praise, and really Paul's praise here expresses God's heart for a church. As we think about 12 years ago today, this church meeting for the first time in the conference center, and then forming through the charter service in January of 2011, and then all that God has done in the past 12 years, and now as we move into our 13th year, I want you to understand this morning, that's important for us to remind ourselves of what God's heart for Crossroads Baptist Church is. I love the story uh, that I've heard a, a preacher tell before of a little girl that was sitting on the, the uh, living room floor playing with her toys, and her daddy was sitting in his chair reading. And uh, up on the mantel was a jar of candy that the daddy would bring out on special occasions. And the little girl was sitting there, and in between playing, she looked up longingly at that jar of candy. And the daddy, in his peripheral vision, as he was sitting there reading, he looked up and he caught her longingly looking up at that jar of candy. And he decided to have a little fun with his little girl, and so he said to her, she had her little doctor's kit open there, a little toy kit. He said, hand me that toy stethoscope there that the doctor uses to listen to somebody's heartbeat. So she handed it to her daddy and he held it up. He said, do you know that I can put these earpieces in my ear and I can hold this to your head and this allows me to tell you what you're thinking. <laughs> and he took that little thing and stuck it up next to that little girl's brain and he said, you're thinking that you would like a piece of candy out of that jar on the mantle. And she snatched that stethoscope away, went run into the other room, threw it in the trash can, and she came back and she said, Daddy, I don't want you having anything that allows you to know what I'm thinking. <laughs> in a positive sense, this passage of Scripture gives us a little glimpse into the mind and the heart of God for a local church. I want you to notice as we look at these two verses... And Paul's exaltation, he's ending in praise and really revealing to us some aspects or some elements of God's heart, God's mind, what God wants for this church. I want you to notice, first of all, as we think about the next 12 years, however long God gives us, till Jesus comes or until he takes us home or has a different plan for us as a church, I want you to notice that God's mind, God's heart for this church, first of all, is that we be a church that keeps its awe, its adoration. Did you notice how Paul began verse number 20 and 21? Now unto him that is able. Notice verse number 21. Unto him be glory. These are two statements of worship. 
statements of awe, statements of adoration and praise. And Paul is in leading this church. He's leading them in the direction of worship, of keeping their awe. God wants Crossroads Baptist Church to be a church that keeps its awe. It's easy for us to lose the importance of worship through our attitudes and through our actions, ascribing worth to the Lord Jesus Christ, making it about Him, not about us. Unto Him be glory. The word glory that Paul uses, as you remember from previous uh, messages, speaks of both brightness in the sense of being attractive and weightiness in the sense of being substance. And so when Paul, in admonishing this church in his prayer to keep its awe and to give glory to God, he's highlighting the importance of our giving brightness to God that is attracting, uh, being attracted to him, making sure that by our lives he is attractive to others and that other people know that he is weighty, that he matters to us as a church. It's all about Jesus Christ. We keep our awe by remembering his awesomeness, who he is and what he has done in the past. And chapter number one of the book of Ephesians makes that very clear. He is our creator. And yet even after man fell, he is our redeemer. And through the work of redemption, he becomes our father and we're brought into his family. And that should move us to awe. As we think about that, some, I was reading a book yesterday and brought out the point that when some talk about worship, they might look at that and they might think that it's a self-centered thing for God to command us to worship. C.S. Lewis, the apologist of the early 1900s, struggled with that as a young believer. He said it seemed kind of self-centered to him for God to ask for worship. But then to make the biblical connection as we think about the importance of worship, that it's through worship that we access the presence of God. Now get this. Worship is, and and by the way, God's on a completely, infinitely different plane than we are. If man wants worship, that's sin. But God desiring worship, the reason he does is because he knows that's how we fellowship or access his presence. In him was life, Jesus, or John said. And that life was the light of men. The psalmist David in Psalm 16 would say as it relates to worship and how that accesses the presence of God as we worship the Lord, as we go into the closet, as we make the choice to be a worshiper of the Lord in the private place or corporately as a church. As we do so, the psalmist David said this, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures for every, evermore. And so a church that is fulfilling the mindset of God, the desire of God, is a church that keeps its awe. I've noticed recently how Loretta, our dog, is a continuing illustration of worship. Now, lest you think I'm um, minimizing worship, The very word that Jesus used in John chapter 4 multiple times, the word worship, when he said the Father is seeking such to worship him and the time is coming 
when they that worship the Lord will not worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem, but they will worship in spirit and truth. It's the word that literally pictures a dog licking the hand of its master. The word for worship in the Bible is the picture of a dog in adoration, in awe, licking the hand of its master. You know what I've noticed about Loretta, our Australian Labradoodle? I, I can't believe I have a dog actually living in the house to begin with. But you know what I've noticed? Obviously, from the very beginning, five years ago, four years ago, that she came to live with us, uh, she was attached to Elena. But you know what I've noticed over the time is that her dependence upon Elena has increased as time has gone on. I've also noticed this, that that dependence has become more and more exclusive. I walk in the house. She didn't used to do this. I walk in the house and she barks at me as if I'm an intruder. When Elena is gone, she sits at the door and whines and moans. When Elena comes back in the door, she starts jumping in circles and chasing her tail and jumping up and down and whimpering and whining and yelping. And I've noticed this. Now she, she used to sleep in a crate. Guess where she sleeps now? In Elena's bed. The two are inseparable. Elena gets up in the morning, comes upstairs. Here comes Loretta. When Elena, I about get their names confused. When Elena goes downstairs, Loretta can be sitting under the table and she's up and where's Elena? And she's the shadow. More and more dependent as time goes on, more and more the worship becomes exclusive. We took Loretta to the vet last week, had to get a few things taken care of. And even these professional animal handlers, when they came in and were as gentle as they could, they had to do a few things that caused Loretta some discomfort. You know what I noticed is that she would, in the moments of discomfort, she would look around the room to Elena. She wanted to know, where is my master? Because if I can have my eyes on my master, everything is going to be okay. It's no accident It's no accident that the very word that Jesus used in the New Testament to describe worship is of a dog licking the master's hand, existing for the pleasure of the master. And so Paul says to this church, listen, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, unto him be glory, be the brightness, be the attractiveness, be the weightiness, the substance, that which matters. As we think about our Heavenly Father and what He has brought us out of, I'm reminded of the fact that uh, the story is told of January 20th, 1981, when 52 hostages in Iran, on the very day and moments that President Reagan was being inaugurated, Iran had held for 444 days, had held 52 American hostages and released them at the same moments that President Reagan's inauguration was taking place. They said that when those hostages touched down in the United States, that many, if not all of them, on the tarmac, got down on their knees and kissed the ground when they returned to the United States. They had a new appreciation for where they were because of where they had come from. 
because of what they had experienced for 444 days in the memory of that, to now be released from that and to be back home in the United States caused them to bow in a gesture of worship and kiss the ground. Listen, when worship is at a low ebb among God's people, it's an indication that they've forgotten where it was God brought them from. You read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember where God has brought you from. Make it a daily habit in your mind, and I promise you it will motivate you to worship and to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus and keep your awe. Secondly, the mind and the heart of God for this church would be a church that would be a church not only that keeps on or keeps its awe, but secondly, a church that keeps on asking. Do you notice the word ask in verse number 20? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I read a comment by an author in a book several weeks ago that I had never thought of. Again, that's not saying much. There's a lot I've never thought of. But this author said this, you could summarize the entire New Testament, all 27 books, the entire New Testament in one word, ask. Ask. A child asking a father, give us this day our daily bread. You think about the Lord's Prayer. You think about Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 11. I mean, here we are right in the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And what's he saying in the Sermon on the Mount? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And to him that seeketh, he findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened unto you. What man is there of you? If his son asks him a piece of bread, you're going to give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, you're going to give him a serpent? No. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? Ask. It goes on, Luke chapter 6, verse number 38, Ask, and it shall be given you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall the Lord give. Jesus would say also in the Gospel of Luke that when we ask, the best gift that Jesus gives to us is the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us. James chapter number 1, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith. James chapter number 3, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask and don't receive, it's many times because you ask out of your selfish desires or your lust to consume it upon your lusts. Let me just say this as a side note. The Lord knows what you and I need far better than we do. And so when we ask out of our wants, we're asking in a very limited and self-centered way. But when I ask Him in His omniscience, He knows what I have need of before I even ask. You say, why do you ask then? As an expression of faith and dependence on my Father. John 14, 15, and 16, the upper room discourse. In each of those chapters, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Ask, 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 ask in my name and it shall be done unto you. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour the book of Acts as well. 36 times prayer is mentioned. Half of those are corporate prayer. I wrote this in my notes. The reason there's a book of Acts is because the church asked. We don't need... To knuckle down to get more done, we need to kneel down to get more done. 
And the Apostle Paul in praise highlights the fact in verse number 20 that our God is a God who we can ask. And he does. Notice this. I love this. One commentator I read brought this out. Notice the building of a pyramid. Now unto him that is, what's the word? Able. It speaks of the power to overcome anything that opposes it. Now unto him that is able to do. How much? Now unto him that is able to do all. All what? All that we ask or think. But Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps piling on the adjectives and the adverbs. Now unto him that is able to do above all that we ask or think. How much above? Now unto him that is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Paul doesn't stop there. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is our God. Now, we're not talking about name it and claim it here. Again, that goes back to a person's selfish wants. No Benny Hinn, no Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, none of that garbage. Okay? Again, he knows better what we need than we do. But we need to be asking. God is not a genie that we rub and he pops out and floats in front of us and says, your wish is my command. Answer me this question. If that were the case, who's God? Me or him? Okay. We have a God who's a father who knows far better for us what we need than we realize. We trust his sovereignty. We trust his goodness. We keep on asking church that prays. We have a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Thirdly, God's mind for this church, not only will be a church that keeps its awe, a church that keeps on asking, but thirdly, a church that keeps its association. Notice what Paul says, verse 21, unto him that is the Father be glory, praise, worship, where? In the church. By whom? What's the text say? By Christ Jesus. In other words, it's because of our association with Christ Jesus that people think bigger and better thoughts about God as they interact with the church. Get this. It's not by our programs. You ever been on visitation? Somebody said, what does your church offer? What do you do for this age group or that? And by the way, a church needs to have ministries like that. But if that's a program is what a church becomes all about, instead of lifting up Jesus Christ, they've gotten off track. We get off track if we ever do that. Okay? It's by our association with Christ Jesus that God is ultimately glorified as he deserves to be glorified and honored and worshipped. It's not by our past. We have a great past. But I know of churches that have had a wonderful past, but that did not guarantee or secure them a good future. It is our association with Jesus Christ that guarantees us the right kind of future. And Paul said, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Not by programs, not by personality, not by a pastor, not by our plans, but the person of Jesus Christ Relatively speaking, the church is a little thing in a big, wicked world. But do you know that our Lord delights in using little things? I have on my shelf a stone from the Valley of Elah 
plucked out of the very, it's a dry stream bed now, the very stream bed that David would have plucked five smooth stones out of to take on Goliath. No, it's not one of the five stones. Somebody joked and said that the Israeli tourism industry dumps a dump truck load of fresh stones in that dry stream bed every week because all of us American tourists coming over and picking it up so we can put one on ourselves. We brought a whole bag of them home, more than five. I think there were about 15 or 20 that we brought home. But God took a little stone and turned it into a heat-sinking missile and brought a big-mouthed giant to his face. When God called a stuttering shepherd in the backside of the Midian desert to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage, and that man Moses argued with God. Do you remember what God said? God didn't take Moses' stutter away, but he pointed to a staff, a shepherd's staff in his hand. What is that nine hand? Throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. And that would be used to manifest the power of God in the court of Pharaoh. It would be used to touch the waters of the Nile and turn it into blood. That little staff would be struck out over the Red Sea. And God, with the blast of his nostrils, would part the Red Sea and bring two million people through safe on dry ground. But God used a little thing. It was the lunch of a little boy, five loaves and two fishes, that in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ were multiplied to feed thousands. It was not a great king that God began his work in humanity 2,000 years ago, but it was a poor little babe in a manger in Bethlehem, a little babe. God delights in using little things when we keep our association with him. I've told it before, but I love telling it, so I'm going to tell it again. One of our own North Carolina evangelists, Vance Habner, used to say, tell the story about the little mouse and the elephant crossing the bridge. Got to the other side, and the little mouse looked up the elephant and said, Boy, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? (laughs) Anything of any value that gets done, Jesus did it. He takes little things and does a great work. I was reminded of this, maybe a strange illustration, but a fire hydrant's a relatively small thing. But one of my most vivid memories from my teenage years when I was 13 or 14 is a fire hydrant. Uh, My dad uh, was uh, the bus director at a church in Michigan, and we were in uh, Chicago, and he was taking us to tour his old bus route in Chicago uh, that he ran when he was in Bible college there, took us downtown into the projects, and we were driving down the street in this old church bus, probably 45, 50 of us teenagers in this youth group on this bus, driving down this uh, street, I mean down in the hood in Chicago, in the middle of the projects, and uh, as we passed there was a fire hydrant that the kids had gotten the lid screwed off of and had cranked the valve open, and it was just spraying out in the street. So it was putting out all this water, this little fire hydrant, and as we got right up to that fire hydrant, this little 10-year-old kid ran out from behind a car. I'll never forget this. He wrapped his arms. He got behind that fire hydrant and wrapped his arms around from behind that fire hydrant and locked his fingers in the stream of that. And he was an expert at controlling the flow of that water coming out of that fire hydrant. And we had, it was summer, we had the windows all down in that bus, and he literally drenched the whole bus. I mean, he aimed it where it filled the whole inside of the bus with water. We all got saturated. (laughs) Now, in all seriousness, I want you to get this. Jesus said in John chapter number 7 that those that believe on him He's going to make rivers of water to flow out of their belly with the implication that many are going to be 
uh, nourished by those. Many are going to be helped by the ministry of the Spirit of God out of us. And the Bible says in John 7, in parentheses, the scripture says this, that he said that, those many rivers of waters, he said that about the Spirit of God that he would give. And I want you to understand, God takes little us, little church, little me, little you, surrendered in our association to the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Spirit of God within us, he does something far greater and far more powerful than any of us can imagine doing. but we've got to keep our association with Christ. We've got to keep our anticipation. Notice this, if you would. Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. We fix our eyes on the future, not just past generations, but future generations. It's the windshield view versus the rear view mirror view. We keep our anticipation for the future, relying upon the power of God, the one who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. By the way, let me just mention this. It slipped my mind when I was under the point there of keeping on asking. In the context, the big ask, the big thing, the item, if you would, that Paul would have been thinking about when he talked about God doing above all that we could ask or think is back up in verse 14 down to verse number 19. Do you remember what Paul was asking for the church at Ephesus? He was asking for the church at Ephesus that they would be strengthened with God's might and the inner man by the Spirit, that Christ would be at home in their heart. He was asking for them that they would know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. He's asking God to be in the work of sanctifying the people of the church at Ephesus. Let me tell you something. When we ask that, we ask it of a God who is abundantly able to accomplish that work in us. And when that work is accomplished, everything else is going to be right. When God's people are in the process of sanctification, when they're being strengthened with God's might in their inner man, when Christ is dwelling in their hearts by faith, he's at home in their heart. And when they are living saturated in the love of God and the awareness of the love of God being shed abroad in their heart, people will get along. In the church, they'll be the effective witness and soul winner that they need to be. They will be accomplishing through God's power and God's work in their lives what they otherwise could not in and of themselves do. We keep our anticipation as a church. We keep our association with the Lord Jesus. We keep on asking. We keep our awe. And then I would just close by saying this. We keep our amen. Keep our amen. What does the word amen mean? It's true. It's true. That's right. It's truth. The person says amen. Let's be a church that keeps its amen. Amen? If the book says it, amen. If, if the Spirit of God calls us to action, Amen. There are two kinds of people in this room this morning. There are believers in Christ, people who are already in the family of God. And you know what our attitude needs to be as we think about the future, as we think about Paul's apex of praise here, his exaltation of the Lord and really communicating God's mind for us as we think about the fact that the Lord wants us to be a church that keeps our awe and keeps on asking and keeps our association with Christ and keeps our anticipation looking to the future and looking forward. This church, get this, is an embassy 
of another country. Let that soak in. I'm glad to say that this embassy, the Bible, Jesus himself said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, what happened to the U.S. embassy in 1979 can't happen to this embassy. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But let's not forget that a local church is an embassy of the heavenly country. We take orders from above so that the will of heaven is accomplished on earth. We need to keep our amen. Association with Christ, anticipation. And so as a believer, would you just say this morning, amen? And, and not just now like this, but I'm saying in life. Your life's a believer, a spirit-filled believer. The Spirit of God indwells you. And as you surrender to Him and His power and His leadership and submit to the, the preeminence of Christ in your worship... <laughs> You're saying, amen, and the Spirit of God has things that He wants to do to you and through you that you cannot even imagine. Then when it happens at the individual level, it affects all of us corporately as a church. If you're here today, and if I were to have a personal conversation with you and say, do you have absolute assurance you know where you'll spend eternity? Do you know Christ as Savior? Have you recognized that your sin separated you from God? Because of that, you can't go to heaven. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago and is the way, the truth, and the life. And died on a cross as your sin-bearing substitute. And those that place their full dependence upon what Jesus has done, the Bible says their sins are washed away, they receive the forgiveness of sin, they're given eternal life, and made a child of God and given access to heaven. Wow. And uh, none of us did anything to deserve that. But if you're here today and you can't say that that describes you, then you need to say amen. You need to say amen. It's true. What God says in his word about me, my condition is a lost sinner separated from God, not headed to heaven, but Jesus died for me and because of what he did, I'm trusting in him as my savior and I'm saying amen to what Jesus did for me. So we just all need to finish this service with a bunch of amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you've used this passage of Scripture to grow me, to work in me, to convict me. Lord, as we bring this service to a conclusion, the piano begins to play in just a moment, a hymn of invitation. You know, we stand to our feet as a corporate gathering. Pray, Lord, for believers that are here that maybe the Spirit of God's worked in their heart about some area where they're not living in submission to them, that person is a child of God. Maybe they've lost their awe, their worship. Times of intimate communion in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word and the Spirit and prayer. Lord, I know you've worked in my heart about that. It's so easy to get mechanical, to go through the motions and to forget the indispensable foundation of our awe, of our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spending time with Him. Maybe it's an association issue for a believer here this morning and if we were to poll the people in their circle of influence, in their workplace, in their family, if we were to poll them and ask them 
about the associations of the believer. There are other associations that would get listed first before Jesus Christ would. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to be a church and individual believers who keep our association with the Lord Jesus. It's all about him. I pray that we'd be a church that keeps on asking. Maybe it's an area of prayer in an individual's life where the prayer life is sporadic, it's cold, maybe in some cases barely existent. Lord, your mind is very clear. Your heart is very clear. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a people that stay close to you, make much of Jesus, keep on asking, and let the Spirit of God do his great work through us to touch many other lives in the coming days and weeks and months and years. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.